Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Well, we are continuing in our series called Built Together. We've got a couple more weeks in this kind of current section that we've been in where we're just talking about community, the importance of it, and some of the attributes or characteristics of Jesus-centered community, the church, what we are meant to be like. And so the heart behind this is that, first of all, just right here in our local body, that we grow in these things. Like God is always at work building his church. And so we are individually members of his church, right? So he's doing stuff in our own hearts and lives. Also where he has us connected within a body, he's doing stuff there. And so we wanna participate with that. But also we wanna think beyond just our local body, Grace Chapel, and recognize we are part of capital C Church here in Knoxville and beyond, around the globe. And so we want to participate in that. So he is the builder and we cooperate with the work that he's doing. We do our part to participate in it. So we've talked about our heart, our heart that we would be a worshiping people individually and together. And that when when our hearts are set on him in worship, not just singing songs, although that's a key part of worship, but living a life of worship. My life laid down to worship and honor and acknowledge God, to let him be king, to surrender to him. That when we do that, something powerful happens as a community. We find ourselves united because we're worshiping the same Jesus and we're listening to him and we're following his lead. And so we discover we're united because we love him and we belong to him. And he starts to do this miracle where he helps us start loving each other. And listen, that is a miracle, isn't it? Yeah, we need his help in that. So our heart is that we would be a worshiping people who then find ourselves united. And that leads into the second thing we discussed last week. It's our nature. Our nature as a church, we are a bonded community. And there's all these descriptive words that are used in the New Testament to describe that. Um, and so we looked at four in particular last week. We talked about how um, we're called a body, literally. Like we have all these different parts, but we're a united whole that works together. And we need all parts of the body. And so we're connected. Um, we talked about how the, the Bible uses uh, uh, the idea of a building, a temple or a house. And then very practically, as God is building us together into something, we are meant to regularly gather We gather in homes, right? It's very personal around a meal. We do life together. And we also gather in larger assemblies to worship God, to pray for one another, to be a light to the world. And then thirdly, we talked about how the church is a family, that we are meant to be in loving, committed relationships with one another. We need fathers and mothers of the faith. We need to see our hearts united as brothers and sisters in Christ. And ultimately, God is our father. And so we let dad 
be in charge. And as his kids, we love and serve and submit to him. And then number four, what was number four? Oh yeah, a flock. Thank you. We are a flock. This is what happens when I don't write down these little details. I just put our nature to remind me what we talked about last week. We're a flock. He's the good shepherd. And as the flock, we need tending. We need to be cared for. We need to be fed. We need to be directed. And then he invites us to have shepherds locally. Like we're called to shepherd not to be in charge. It's not for the benefit of the shepherd. It's a sacrificial thing. And so we love and we serve. It's about servant leadership. And so we shepherd and care for the flock of God. And we're not qualified to be a shepherd unless we first have learned how to be led by the good shepherd, right? So those were some things we talked about. And so now over the next couple of weeks, I just wanna talk a little bit about some things that are meant to come out of this beautiful community that worships God and that is committed to being connected to one another. A couple of things that come out of it. So this morning, I wanna talk about the joy of a diverse community. Like God wants us to experience joy as we're connected with each other. And then next week, I wanna talk about the healing that comes from being in connected community. And so in a lot of ways, what we talked about last week, what we're talking about this week, and what we'll dive into next Sunday are all kind of interconnected. And so you'll see how some themes kind of overlap. So let's pray and invite the Lord to talk to us this morning about the joy he wants us to experience as we're connected with each other. Lord, thank you for your words here in Romans 12 that we'll be exploring this morning. Jesus, thank you for some things that you spoke in John 15 that we'll be talking about this morning. Lord, this incredible love that you give us, that you pour into our lives and this love that you want to see stirred up as your people come together in unity. God, you truly are working a miracle in the earth. You are uniting people that are so different. God, we have different experiences, different upbringings, God, we're wired differently. There's all these ways you've made us unique. And yet, God, you're doing this miracle where you're bringing us together. God, we recognize we need your help with that. And so, God, we wanna learn to submit ourselves to the work that you wanna do in our lives individually and collectively, how you wanna knit our hearts. God, what a gift. Would you teach us how to walk in this? And then, Lord, we also just acknowledge the parts of this that we can't even do, where we're just required to, to surrender, to let you be in charge, and trust that you're doing something good and beautiful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I want to pick up um, with a couple of verses we read last week and build from there. And so we're going to start in Romans 12. We're gonna read verses four and five. This is the, this reminder that we're a part of a body, the body of Christ. And so here we go. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and we are individually members of one another, of one another. So just by way of reminder, if you weren't with us last week, the beautiful thing about what Paul's describing here is that we are each unique and yet we're designed to be interconnected. In fact, it is essential 
that we learn to be interconnected for our health, for the health of the body. If we're divided, we literally are missing out on something essential that is needed. And so we are united in our diversity. What does that mean? Well, we're united in Christ. With no compromise, we're united in him. He's the king, he's in charge. And what he says is what goes. And so we're united in Christ. And then we can celebrate the diverse ways that he's made us. We have different backgrounds and experiences. We have different um, functions within the body. We, We play different parts in the body. We have different gifts that he's given us. Some of those are spiritual gifts. Some of them are just like natural things that just come naturally to us. Some of them are skill sets we've acquired over time. And so there is this diversity of gifts and backgrounds and experiences. And yet God wants to see us united together. I mean, it it takes a miracle for that to happen. It really does. And so Paul then continues on. I just want to read the first half of the next verse. Romans 12, the first half of verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I love that. Since God has uniquely made us different and then he's distributed these gifts by his grace, it's so important that we never lose sight of it. For some of us, we, we, whether it's, it's in our own minds or it's the enemy hounding us or it's voices we've heard from others over the course of our life, we have a really hard time seeing our inherent value. Like we, we diminish ourselves, we beat ourselves up, we're hard on ourselves. Maybe we even minimize our gifts or don't recognize that we have them. God has graciously gifted each of us. He wants us to see that. He, he wants to give it, like he uses the word gift for a reason. A gift is good. I love getting gifts. It's especially good when someone who knows you and cares about you picks out something for you that fits you really well. You know what I'm talking about? When you get a gift where it's like, this is great. I had the opposite of this happen one time. I won't say who, but my family will know. I once, as an adult, not as a kid, listen closely, as an adult, I opened at Christmas a small box and inside of that box was what? A harmonica. I was given a harmonica. If you know me, you know that makes no sense whatsoever. I'm not musical. I I stared at it and I just racked my brain like, did I do something to communicate to this person (laughs) that I would ever want this or have any idea what to do with it? The only thing that came to my mind was maybe they had heard me say once that I liked Blues Traveler. And perhaps they thought I wanted to learn how to play harmonica along with the Blues Traveler. I don't know. I still don't know the answer to this question. It was confusing, right? But God doesn't do that. He gives good gifts to his kids. He knows us well. And he gives us gifts that fit us, that we can use. And listen, he wants us to find joy in that individually. But what Paul's telling us here is the real gift is the joy we experience together when we're all operating in the unique ways we are made. It's a gift 
to enjoy relationship with one another. It's so easy to recognize the things that are hard about dealing with other people. But if we could learn to see the gifts of grace that he's given us, learn to recognize them and enjoy them in others, wow, would change things. It's a beautiful thing. I was struck this morning just sitting here going, I'm looking up on stage and just seeing some of my very best friends using their gifts to glorify Jesus. And I'm being encouraged by what's happening in the room. I'm being encouraged by the words that are being sung. I'm, I'm being encouraged by God being glorified, like my, my soul's being fed by this. What a gift that I could enjoy worshiping with my friends. And what a gift that I wasn't the one trying to lead us in singing this morning, right? That's a gift too. And so so part of what's being described here is, is this beautiful blend of like, I don't minimize or shut down or stop using the gifts God's given me, right? I'm meant to use them. But I also don't go too hard the other direction where I start walking around in pride and like my gift is the gift and I'm the essential person to this whole situation, right? The body works together. It builds itself up. Some of the parts that are the least seen are the most essential. That heart keeps everything going. We don't see it, but man, it is there and having a massive and important impact for the health of the body, all right? So we, we are meant to enjoy these gracious gifts and he disperses them on purpose for the benefit of the whole. Now, I'm gonna read through the next few verses and I just wanna say up front, I'm only gonna highlight Um, one aspect of this. And the reason for that is when we move into the next section of this series, um, sometime in in kind of mid-October, we are gonna spend some time talking about the gifts of the Spirit, roles within the church. We're gonna talk about learning to, to see God use our skills and even the things that are near and dear to our heart, our passions, Um, for his kingdom advancement. So we're gonna talk about those things more in depth when we get further in the series. But I just want to give you a sense of this here in Romans 12. Um, So I'm I'm gonna pick up in the second half of verse six now. So Paul's encouraged us to use these gifts that God has given. And so he lists some of them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, with cheerfulness. Now we'll unpack some of these that are listed here and others in in the letter to the Corinthians as well. Uh, But I just wanna highlight some of the ways of how these gifts are used. Just a few of the descriptive words. They're used generously. They're used generously. They're used eagerly or diligently. That's what the word zeal means. You might not be familiar with the word zeal, right? It's a little bit of a a word that maybe we don't use as often. Eagerly, diligently, and cheerfully. The gifts are used generously, lavishly, faithfully, like consistently, because we diligently show up. We're eager 
to participate in the body. And we do it cheerfully. Listen, I, I got to experience just a really practical example of this. Yesterday, like a dozen of us showed up at Bart's house. And he's got a tree down in the yard. And all of these things were happening. People were generously giving of their time to be there on a Saturday morning. People who work hard Monday through Friday and took time away from family to be there. They gave generously of their time. They worked diligently. Like a large crew of us, our only skill set was I have two sets of hands. There were several of us like that, right? We just showed up. I've got these two hands. I'll put some gloves on. I'll carry some stuff. Some other guys that had some skills and tools and equipment showed up with some chainsaws and they, they got to work. But while they were working, cutting up large chunks of trees and small bundles of trees, those would have just sat there if somebody else hadn't showed up to go, I'll carry those and we'll get them where they need to go. Like this seems overly simple, but listen, when we show up and we just do our part, something beautiful happens. And you know what? It was joyful. Y'all, at one point, I wish you could have seen this. I regretted not having my phone at the ready. There was a, a tree limb, a very large one, probably this big, hanging off the large tree that was down. And my dad, who's in his early 70s, who's like the main guy running chainsaws out there. I mean, good night. He was a machine yesterday. And we look over and all of a sudden he's sitting on the log, riding it like it's a Bronco, bouncing it up and down in the air, laughing in delight. <laughs> That's my dad. And it was, it was just, it was a blast. It's like, it's my favorite thing to get up early on a Saturday morning and haul logs and bugs are flying around and it's humid. No. But is there something beautiful about getting together with the family of God? and working side by side and doing our part and generously giving our time. And listen, it, it was a gift. And Bart was massively blessed. He was blown away at what it looked like, at what had happened. See, sometimes operating the gifts, it's just, it's just that tangible and practical. Sometimes operating in the gifts means something gets touched, healed, encouraged, built up. And we don't see it externally, but miracles are happening in people's hearts and minds. Healing is taking place because we're willing to show up and generously, diligently, and cheerfully participate in the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. So point number one was enjoy the gift of diversity. Let's learn to enjoy the gift of diversity. Let's learn to enjoy the things that are different about each other and celebrate them. And part of how we do that is we show up and be who we are, who we are called to be, and we participate. Point number two, let's enjoy the gift of love. See, for us to actually be able to enjoy the gift of diversity, to participate in that, we've got to walk in love. We have to walk in love. And first and foremost, love is a gift. It's a gift that God gives us that we can walk in. So here we go, verses nine and 10 now. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul just practically lists several ways that we are to walk in love. 
Let it be genuine, he says. So here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to kind of, kind of utilize a few verses in John 15 where Jesus is encouraging his disciples to walk in God's love and to walk in love with each other. And, and to give us context to this, I just want to make sure we understand what's happening in John 15. Jesus is about to be betrayed to his death. He's just washed the disciples' feet in John 13. All right, they, they are participating in the Last Supper in communion. They don't understand what it means yet, but he's laying the groundwork for what's coming. My body's about to be broken for you. My blood is about to be shed for you. And I think it's pretty important if Jesus is saying, hey, these are my last moments with the people I know the best, that I love dearly, and he's got some things to say to them. Don't you think that might be important? Yeah. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to talk to them about the love of God and the love they're meant to have with each other. And so we're gonna look at just a little bit of this. I would highly recommend dive into John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Just pay attention to all those things Jesus is saying there and the things he's praying over them and over us. But we're gonna look at a few verses here. John 15, verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. It's so simple that at first glance, it doesn't even seem like it needs explanation, right? God the Father, Jesus, they have this beautiful love for one another. Jesus came to earth and he loved his disciples well. And he's saying, live in that, abide in that. Listen, this is the secret to letting love be genuine. God's love is the only love that is always perfect. He loves perfectly with no agenda. He loves sacrificially. He is the very definition of love. And so our, any genuine love that we can have or experience, it flows from the Father. Jesus is telling us the secret. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operate in perfect love. And Jesus is saying, this is available to you. Make this home. Make this the thing you reside in. Like, like a core anchor for your life is the love of God. It's not just something we talk about every now and then. It's not like, oh, that's the elementary aspects of the gospel, right? The starting point. No, it's, it's the end-all, be-all. It's the end-all, be-all. It's God's love that draws us in the first place, that we can even be saved and rescued. It's the precious love of Jesus that lays down his life sacrificially that we could be saved, that we could be reconciled to God, that we could be brought into his family. But it's his love that we're now meant to live in and enjoy forever. At the risk of getting a little ahead of myself, Paul makes it pretty clear in his letter to the Corinthians that all of the gifts, there's gonna come a time where they're not needed anymore. We're not gonna need prophecy when we're with him in heaven for all eternity. What's gonna remain? Love. One of the primary things we can do to prepare ourselves for what we are gonna experience for all eternity is to start getting at home in God's love. 
What if God's love was so familiar to me that it just felt right? Like, do I feel at home in God's love? Or does it feel like this fleeting thing that I experience just in little moments and little glimpses? Or, or have I learned to be at home in his love? It's available. It's ever-present. He loves us. And he wants us to learn to abide in his love. And so how, how do we let that then affect our relationships with each other? If we're meant to experience his love and then, okay, I feel like if I'm by myself, I, I might be able to get a good taste of his love, but then I start interacting with other people and it gets hard, gets difficult. I would encourage you that a really great place to start in learning to abide in God's love is to find that spot where you're struggling to love well. What is that spot where it's difficult to love well right now? In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you this um, so that you answer out loud, but I'm asking you to think about this right now. Where is that place that it's difficult to love well? Did a person come to mind? Did a particular situation come to mind? Where is that place where it's hard to love well right now? And if you struggle with that, then what we need to do is we need to enter into God's love at that point of struggle. God, this person, this situation that is so difficult to walk in love right now, God, your love is ever present with me and your love is ever present with them. So Lord, how do I tap into your love for this person? Now, if you're anything like me, immediately you're gonna need some help right there. And so that's why we pray. That's why we pray. Lord, help me to love in this situation. Help me to see this person through your eyes. This is why Jesus covered so many aspects of love in all the ways that he taught, right? He helped define who our neighbor is. Because one of the easiest ways to, to comfort ourselves and convince ourselves that we're doing better at this than we really are is we give ourselves really good reasons why there's an exception in this particular situation. Because with this person or this situation, these things are going on and that allows me to opt out of having to love well. And so Jesus teaches us who our neighbor is. Oh, that person that you would avoid or reject. And he says, no, that's your neighbor. Go love them. And then he doesn't just let us off the hook there like I can distance myself from someone that's not super close. He goes a step further. He teaches us to love our enemies. You knew it was coming, didn't you, David? He teaches us to love our enemies. I don't want to do that. Why would I want to love my enemies? Well, I was an enemy of God. Separate, distant. And he loved me there. And the only reason I'm not still an enemy of God is not because I did something special but because he did the work to reconcile our relationship. Because he saw an enemy, but what he really saw was a son that he loves. And so we love our enemies. We understand true sacrificial love from Jesus. We lay down our lives for our friends. Genuine love. It's difficult, and I would even say it's impossible, except for the precious gift that God gives. He gives us himself. He gives us his love. 
And so we learn to abide in that, receive that for ourselves personally. God, you love me and you're loving this person. And friends, I have to tell you, some of the most powerful ways God has healed parts of my relationship with him is through circumstances with other people. I had to learn how to forgive, not just once, but there's a particular situation in mind. I had to learn how to forgive in a really hard situation with a really difficult relationship. And there was the choice of forgiving. And then there was the journey of my emotions catching up that took a while. And so there was a lot of like, Lord, help me to forgive. Lord, help me to forgive. I'm choosing to forgive. Praying for myself, Lord, my emotions aren't there. I, I don't feel it. Help me to forgive. And then somewhere along the way, he goes, hey, why don't you start praying for that person? You're praying for yourself to be able to forgive them, but why don't you start praying for them? And so I began to pray for that person. In the process of praying for them, something bizarre started to happen. I started caring about this person. I started to begin to see them, not exactly the way God does, but he gave me like little glimpses, little insights. I began to recognize that some of the very things that were driving me crazy about them had way more to do with like damage they had gone through and things God wanted to heal in their life. I began to pray for them. And then all of a sudden one day, a year and a half later, like seriously, I had this sense of love in my heart for them. God, you've given me a love for that person now. I went from hating them and wanting nothing to do with them and feeling completely justified in the distance that we had to God, a year and a half later, I can genuinely say, I, I love this person. During that entire year and a half, there was no relationship. But God was just beginning to do something in my heart. And I can stand here today and say, we are reconciled with one another. We enjoy spending time together. We send silly texts and memes to one another. I mean, that's the true sign of love right there, isn't it? <laughs> Genuine love, born out of God, I need your help to love this person. And you know, you know what happened in the midst of all of that? God started to do something in me where he began to show me how much he had forgiven me. Because what I tend to do is minimize how much he's needed to forgive me of. But he began to show me how much he had forgiven in his great love for me. And it brought a fresh sense of his great love for me as I went through the struggle of loving someone else that was hard to love and to forgive. Love can be genuine because we abide in his love. Number two, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That word abhor, it means to detest, to shrink from. Like, oh, that's disgusting, I'm shrinking back. Like for some of you, that's a spider that you might see on the ground, right? Like, oh, I detest that. I want nothing to do with it. I'm shrinking back from it. That's how we ought to be towards evil. Hold fast. It means to glue together, to glue together, to unite or join together. Hold fast to what is good. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 15, 10, the very next verse. After he talks about abiding in his love, what does he say? If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding in God's love is holding closely to his commandments. It's the way we participate in it. We, this isn't about earning his love, 
But when I recognize how much he loves me and I get to respond in relationship, the proper response in relationship to God is to obey him. And so to learn that what he calls evil is evil and what he calls good is good. And so I pull back from what is evil and I hold closely to what is good. And that, that, that restores me, it heals me, it helps me in a very practical way to walk out love well. I can treat people in love, not hate, because I'm holding fast to what is good. When we understand how to respond in various situations based on this, based on what God calls good and what God calls evil, it does something powerful. It helps us to see God's love for people and it helps us to love people well like him. Because it can be confusing. There is evil in this world. We experience evil through the hands of other people. And sadly, we cooperate with that at times. We participate in evil. That brings harm to ourselves and others. And friends, I just wanna encourage you to, to think about how you view sin. It, it's easy to view sin through a lot of different lenses, but I wanna encourage you to see it this way. What if God's definition of sin is directly tied to how much he loves us? That's not a hypothetical, it's reality. He loves us so much that he defines what sin is in order to protect us and care for us. God loves people so much that he hates what harms us. The harmful things we participate in that hurt us. He loves us enough to say that's wrong and unhealthy for you the harmful things we do to one another. He cares about us so much, he wants to put a stop to that. And so we learn to have his viewpoint on things. God, you love me and you love this world and you care about us. And so, Lord, instead of me trying to define what I think or feel like good or evil should be, or let me, let me take my leading from the culture because they got it all together, Right? Like name one culture that's ever had it all together. It's a mess. So then why do we take our lead from the world to define what's right and what's wrong and what's loving? What about the God who is perfect and who loves us and who takes us as we are? All are welcome in his family and say, Lord, would you help me to learn what is good and what is evil so I can love you and love others well? There's a lot more that could be said there, but we're gonna keep moving for time's sake. A couple more points. Paul tells us to love one another with brotherly affection. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in verses 11 and 12. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is directly connecting Love relationship with God and each other with the experience of joy. He wants us to experience the joy of being deeply connected to him and to each other. It's a gift to be loved well. See, this kind of committed love that Jesus is describing here, where we live in God's love and we're committed to brotherly love, like brotherly love is like you're stuck with your brother, right? Right? 
Like that's a family relationship. It's not a friendship I can just walk away from. It's a, we're connected at a deep family level. And that kind of bonded love is powerful. It's powerful. There is this incredible joy that comes from being connected in love. If you're around for the Easter sunrise service, we talked a little bit about the joy that God wants us to have and that it's found in his face. It's found in deep connection with him. And then we're meant to experience that in deep connection with one another. This joy is a powerful thing. I wanna, I wanna read this to you. This is a, a book myself and some other people here at the church have been going through for a while now called The Other Half of Church. And there's this chapter where it's talking about joy and how powerful joy is as it relates to our brain development. Like literally even at a young age, there is this powerful thing that is produced when a mother is holding a child and they're getting that connecting FaceTime just through looking at each other, smiling at each other, talking nonsense to each other. Powerful things are happening in the brain to develop and grow that child. And I want you to see this. When I compared, this is the author of the book writing, when I compared the many scriptures that describe God's face shining on us with what I now know about how our brains were designed, I came to three important points of convergence. Number one, joy is primarily transmitted through the face, especially the eyes, and secondarily through voice. There is deep power in this. Connecting with each other right here in person, having dialogue, loving, affirming dialogue. It's powerful. Number two, joy is relational. It is what we feel when we are with someone who is happy to be with us. Joy does not exist outside of a relationship. It's a powerful statement. Joy is deeply relational. That's why it's different than happiness. Like happiness is circumstantial. It can come and go. I can even experience some happiness like without people around. In fact, sometimes I definitely experience happiness when there's maybe a little peace and quiet in the house because some kids aren't around for a little bit. Like I can experience happiness from different things. Joy is relational. It's rooted in relationship. Number three, joy is important to God and to us. God is thrilled when we are experiencing deep connection with him and one another. It's what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 133, verse one. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. We need this. We need this kind of deep, meaningful connection. And you, you just can't do that from a distance, church. Like, this is why we love genuinely in actuality, not just in a passing, like, hey, love you, see ya. Those, that, that can, there can be some nice greetings in a passing moment. That's not walking in love. Love is like deeply connected. We need time with each other, face to face, taking each other as we are, mutually encouraging one another. We experienced this in a really powerful way at our men's conference this spring. During, during the conference, we took an evening and first we practiced it together as a large group. We took one person, we picked on Alex and we took a few minutes and we said, let's just sit quietly and just kind of prayerfully consider who Alex is, our relationship with him, what we see in him. Maybe it's just something we're gonna share out of our own experience. Maybe we'll sit quietly enough to hear the Lord speak something into our hearts that we should share. 
And then we took a few minutes and we just affirmed Alex. Dude, thank you for this about you. And then after doing that as a large group, we split up into groups of four. And for an hour, we practiced that. Four people sat there for an hour and one person at a time prayerfully considered that person, looked them in the eye and said, I love you. I see this in you. I want to encourage you. Guys, was that a powerful evening for those who were there? I would say like it shifted something in our church. Like we walked away from that going, something just shifted. There's power. That should be normal. That kind of just sitting and being with each other and affirming each other, affirming the good, encouraging it, fanning that flame. That's, that's, what, that's what's described in that last little portion in verse 10 that Paul's talking about, outdoing one another and showing honor. Just building each other up, encouraging each other. Okay, we're right up against the time here. I'm gonna make the third and final point this morning briefly. We enjoy the gift of diversity. We enjoy the gift of God's love. We abide in his love. We love one another. We are connected with each other. And then thirdly, we need to enjoy the gift of perseverance. God gives us the gift of being able to hang in there because he's faithful and he's steadfast. We can be too. We hang in there with each other. Romans 12, 11 and 12 now. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Paul immediately follows talking about our diversity and then our commitment to love with now this call to endure. Because he knows it's needed. <laughs> we need to hang in there with God. We need to hang in there with each other. There's this call to be faithful. Notice he doesn't say rejoice in perfect and pleasant circumstances. That's easy to do. We can all do that. Rejoice in hope. Find hope, hold on to hope. Instill hope in one another. Hang in there, we can make it. It's gonna be all right. God's faithful and good. We're here together. One last quote from that book, and I'll kind of use this as our closing. From the other half of church. Joy helps us regulate our emotions and endure suffering. This is, this is like a scientific thing that happens in the brain. It helps us regulate our emotions and endure suffering. Jesus refused to relinquish joy in the midst of his suffering on the cross, right? Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. When we are able to stay relationally connected to others in God, we experience joy while we suffer. Joy does not remove our pain, but it gives us the strength to endure. I want you to catch this next sentence because it's so important. Joy does not replace the unpleasant emotions. Instead, it combines with my emotions to keep me relationally connected in distress. At first glance, I was gonna save this third point for next Sunday because we're gonna talk about our healing. But I wanted us to see the connection of joy that comes and hanging in there with each other through hard things. Far too often in church, we don't know how to handle distressing, traumatic, 
hard situations. So we either pull back altogether or we say these little like, is pithy the right word, Allison? Like these little phrases that we think are gonna be comforting and they're kind of just insulting. You know, we say some version of like, buck it up or be joyful or hang in there. God's working together all things for good. Like we use that verse like a slap in the face, not an encouragement. And it's because we've confused this idea of being able to live in the reality of the emotional state we're in. This is hard. I am hurting. I am suffering. Joy is not pretending that isn't true. Joy is recognizing even in this most painful of circumstances, God is with me. He loves me. He's for me. And my brothers and sisters, they're in it with me. They don't know what to say and do because there's nothing they can say and do to fix this. It just hurts right now. But they're present. They're linking arms with me. They're crying with me. They are right there face to face hanging in there with me. And so I find joy in the comfort and presence of a God who is faithful, whose love endures in all circumstances. And I find joy in the fact that I'm not alone, even in the midst of the greatest difficulty. Because my brothers and sisters are committed to endure with me for the long haul. Friends, that is how we can enjoy diversity how we can enjoy and abide in love and how we can find joy even in the midst of having to endure hard things. Far too often, we've experienced hurt within the body of Christ. And far too often, the response is to withdraw. Now, at times, we need to withdraw from a person or a situation that is completely unhealthy. I I understand that. But sadly, what has happened for many believers is because we experience hurt at the hands of another follower of Christ, we isolate from the church writ large. We opt out of needed relationship that is found within the family of God. Our relationships with one another are meant to be a source of joy where we experience love, where we celebrate our differences as a good thing and where we endure through hard times together. And when we live like that, we can begin to see our church community be a place of healing. And that's what we're gonna talk about next Sunday. Let's pray. God, I don't know what to say other than thank you. Thank you for deep abiding love. Thank you for your genuine and perfect love that never falls short. God, we, we just acknowledge to you our need for help in all of this. God, to be a worshiping community, to be a community that's bonded and united together, to be a community that finds joy in the midst of our differences. God, we need your help. And we thank you that we have it, that we have your presence, that we have your great love for us. And Lord, we pray that more and more we could learn to celebrate and enjoy the unique differences of how you've made us and the gift that that is for all of us. God, that we could abide in your love, that we might see each other and love each other well, and that we could be there to endure. 
through hard seasons, knowing that you are redeeming all things, that you're ever present with us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.